All right, thank you, Derek. Uh, kids, now is the time where we can dismiss the children's church. So ages four through eight, uh, gather with Paul and Hunter, and uh, they'll take you down uh, to children's church. Um, all right, and the rest of you can uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 82 this morning. All right. Uh, We've been in the book of Psalms this summer, uh, and uh, we'll be in this through Advent. Our sermon series is called Scale the Mountain, Worshiping God from the Songs of His People. And really looking at uh, the, the story of God's people, looking to Christ as the center of all the Psalms, uh, setting our affections upon Him, loving God and loving neighbor as we love the law, and exalting Him in worship, the the SCALE acronym there uh, that we have been looking at. Well, today is our six-year anniversary as a church. We made it six years by God's grace and mercy and the sacrifice and love of a whole lot of people for this city and for one another. And this morning, what I want to do in our psalm sermon series is uh, center in on this psalm. As soon as we read it, you will recognize exactly where we are uh, because it is the refrain of a favorite City Hope worship song, Give Your Justice. And this song, this psalm has a great deal of hope, and yet it also comes with a plea and a cry. And this morning, I want to ask the question, Uh, Rather than us looking backward uh, triumphantly and looking at all of the celebratory things that we could do, looking back over the last six years, I actually want us to ask a different question, which I hope will lead us to a place of further mission and vision, hope and love for Jesus. But it's kind of an odd path to get there, so you got to bear with me, all right? There are many great and glorious things that we've gotten to experience as a church, But I want to ask us about the disappointments that we've experienced. There's a great deal of them. Disappointments and pain. People have died. Marriages have ended. People have walked away from the Lord. Painful things have happened. Injustice has been suffered. And over these last six years, not just in our church, but also in our world, Our world is a different place in 2023 than it was in 2017 when we planted. A lot has changed. The global pandemic, a reckoning of racial justice that has continued, political upheaval. And this is not just global uh, uh, or across our nation, but here locally. One of the things that our vision says is that we will be about loving our neighbors through radical acts of justice and mercy. And if you look at the six-year, vision, or six-year history of City Hope, that is absolutely true. One of my favorite things that we do every year when, uh, at our annual meeting is to hear from Chris about all the ways the Mercy Fund has been used that year. It's pretty remarkable what this little congregation is able to do in transforming the lives of individuals in incredible ways and trying to fit into a space in which folks Uh, fall through the cracks of other services and help? How do we show up in real ways? And all that's true, and yet, there's still injustice. There's still bad landlords that take advantage of their tenants. There's still racial bias in policing, hiring, and education, and in the church, 
and in us. You know, years ago, we talked a little bit about this project that was happening in Delaware County, the, the jail being built. Uh, if you guys remember, I think we were at EWA when this happened. And, uh, and myself and, and a bunch of other clergy wrote a letter in opposition to this. Many other people spoke out as well, kind of unified together in opposing this project for a number of reasons. Uh, I took the staff and myself to many public meetings in that. Uh, one that was held actually the Monday after Thanksgiving at 8 a.m. Uh, so tell us you're doing something shady without telling us you're doing something shady. Uh, and and the, the public comment portion of that meeting was like three hours into it, so everyone had to leave, right? Uh, and uh, it, was, it was a really frustrating pro- pro- process. And I remember having a conversation at that meeting with another clergy member about the frustration of this process. And he said to me, sometimes, uh, this is a paraphrase, so he probably said it more poetic, or maybe I'm going to say it more poetic, but uh, either way, uh, this is a paraphrase. He said, sometimes the train of injustice is coming down the tracks and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But sometimes our job is to stand on the tracks and say, this is wrong, and get run over anyway. Even though you can't stop it. That project happened. We didn't stop it. There's other instances I could refer to of personal conversations with folks who have experienced systemic racism and injustice in our city and in our country, ways that we've tried to step in. And then obviously there's the whole global pandemic and all sorts of ways in which that affected us individually. And right in the middle of that pandemic was the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And it sparked a new set of conversations around racial injustice. And one of the results of that conversation was that there was this overflow of resources and books, right? All these books got sold out on Amazon, and everyone was buying these books about racial injustice. Did that solve it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that educating ourselves is not right. We, I mean, we promoted some of those books, right? Like, that is not what I'm saying, right? This is important, and important to be a part of the conversation. But my question is, did that solve it? Like, are we beyond it? Or did a lot of people buy that to feel good about themselves and put it on their bookshelf and actually not read it? And not actually change anything? Now, there certainly are flashpoints in history, moments in history, where something like racial injustice or injustice against the poor and marginalized hits a turning point. And a change is sparked through education and protest and activism and all those pieces. And yet, even with those things, the seed of injustice remains. Because we go back and do it again. This question feels very similar to the psalm that we were in recently, Psalm 73. My foot nearly slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I almost gave up because I saw that no matter what I had done to pursue justice, injustice prevails. Everyone around me who's pursuing wicked things, and maybe even those within the church, leaders of the church pursuing wicked things, and they get blessing. How can I make sense of this? And I think the place of hope, and our place as a church moving forward in hope, comes not from ignoring that question, but asking that question honestly and digging into it because that question is real. And here in Psalm 82, what we have is we're looking at the same problem, the same wrestling 
of injustice in the world, but from a different perspective. This psalm prophetically speaks, the Lord himself speaks in this psalm. Asking a very similar question. What does this mean that injustice prevails in the world? Well, that's what we're going to dive into this morning. But what I want us to do as we move into it this morning is to remember our story as a church. And to remember the story that we're a part of as the church, that we're not isolated and alone, but we're part of a rich history stemming back to the people of God in Israel and Abraham even further back. And so as we move forward as a church, we're going to be talking, as I said earlier, about strategic vision and plan, looking ahead at different things, and what does it look like for us to move forward in all of those pieces. And last week I said, none of that matters if we're not willing to repent of our own junk. Like if we're not willing to look inwardly, right, restoration, this moving forward doesn't happen without repentance. And so that's a piece of it. But it's also us having a right perspective about who's in charge, whose church this is, who do we follow, and especially who do we follow when things get hard and disappointing. So, let's read Psalm 82. This is a psalm of Asaph. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. See, this is God speaking. So this middle section of the psalm, from verse 2 all the way down, to uh, the uh, verse 7 is God speaking. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant they wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say you are gods. You are all children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth. For all the nations belong to you. All right. So uh, as I was looking at this this week, uh, obviously we sing this song a lot. Justice and mercy is a big part of our vision, and I was really excited to dig into this and think about vision. And then I read the psalm, and it was like, this is actually really a lot more challenging. (laughs) This is actually kind of like, what's going on here? Because this is the Lord speaking, and and he says some things that I'm like, what what exactly is he saying here? What what, what exactly are are, are, are we doing here? And it starts right from the jump. Where God is speaking and he addresses the heavenly beings. And commentators are split on what this means and who he's actually addressing. Who is God addressing when he says, how long will you hand down unjust decisions? Because the Hebrew word is just the word for God. And so it's like, well, is God addressing gods? What is happening here? Hebrew is a difficult language. It packs a lot into one individual word. And so uh, you have to understand it by the context and what's going on in the, in the spot. And so commentators are really split on some of these things. But there's a few options. The first option is that we are, God is speaking to human rulers over people. 
if you, uh, depending on your translation, it just simply will say rulers, right? Uh, and, and it does, uh, in verse 7 in our translation here, you'll fall like every other ruler. So it's human rulers who are speaking, or who God is speaking to. The second option is that this is uh, what the New Testament would call powers and principalities, Satan and demons. That what he's addressing in the heavenly courts is the evil one and those following him. And finally, the third option is that he's addressing pagan gods, the pagan gods of the nations around Israel. Um, so there, there's a number of, of, of ways in which we can kind of adjust this and, and, and think about how this goes. I think that the best option is the first, that this is addressing human rulers. And the main reason for that is that the New Testament quotes this passage referring to the part at the end about you are gods as a way of saying humans are called, called gods at, at some point. Like it's just quoted there and it refers to it being referred to humans. And so I think we can rule out the other two options, though I think the, the second option of powers and principalities is kind of behind the scenes there, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment and when we get there. But like, I think that's kind of behind the scenes, but I do think that this is God addressing human rulers, those in positions of power and authority over others. So, okay, that's not the only difficult part, but it's one difficult part that we got out of the way. Okay, so I want to look at two things this morning, keeping in mind the disappointments of injustice that we have seen personally and as a church. Just two things. God sees injustice and God judges injustice. God sees injustice and God judges injustice. So the first thing to see in this passage is that God sees injustice. Starting in verse 2, right, he says, how long will you hand down unjust decisions? This how long is a phrase repeated throughout the Psalms, typically from God's people addressing God, saying, how long, Lord, will you allow this to happen? This is God addressing human rulers, saying, how long will you allow this to continue? God sees and feels the injustice that humans feel. He sees it. He identifies and says, how long will this continue? He sees the injustice that you personally have experienced. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless and deliver them from the grasp of evil people. God sees every way in which the poor... And the orphaned, those most vulnerable in our society, are treated. He sees it. There is no oppression, there is no wickedness that goes without God seeing it. Taking account for it. Knowing it's happening. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. God sees the way in which injustice and oppression works in the world, dehumanizing those made in God's image. He sees the way in which the poor in every society throughout all of human history have been treated. There's a re recurring pattern in the world of 
injustice and oppression. And it continues. God sees it. He sees the way in which you personally have faced these things. If you are someone who's gone through some real oppression, marginalization, in small ways or big ways, God sees it. And he says to the perpetrators of those injustices, how long will you continue? How long will you continue marginalizing people made in my image? How long will you continue dehumanizing those I have stamped with my very image? Those who are supposed to be honored, you have dishonored. Those who are supposed to be cared for and those even the most vulnerable who are supposed to be cared for, you have taken advantage of for your own gain. And he says, I see it. The question of this psalm, then, is what is God going to do about it? And that's the second point, that God judges injustice. Here's here's the problem, though. This text, if you're paying attention here, maybe it doesn't for you, but it did for me immediately, raises a big question. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Wait a second. God, aren't you in charge over them? Like, isn't this the thing that you set up? If you are frustrated by injustice, God, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you come and do something? This is why it feels very much like this Psalm 73 question that we had. Of like, when I look around and I see... I might want to walk away. You say God sees injustice. Well, he sees it, but I still experience it. So what are we to do about that? What are we to do about that? Why doesn't God just come in simply and wipe everything out and fix it all? Well, I think part of this is that part of the reason he made us is for the very purpose of caring for the vulnerable. Part of the reason he made us in his image and gave us dominion in the garden is to actually do this very thing. When God says how long, he's not saying how long until uh, I come in and, and, and fix this thing. He's saying how long will you continue to not do what I created you to do? I didn't create you to oppress. I created you to help people thrive and flourish. To do the right thing and to glorify him, to care for your neighbor, to love your neighbor. I think really this section at the end where it addresses, uh, you are uh, addressing the rulers as you are gods. You are gods. You are children of the Most High. This is a confusing phrase. I'll just totally be honest. It's like, what is is happening here? But I think this actually has a lot to do with what it means to be God's representative in the world. To be made in God's image. And in particular, that rulers 
are exercising the dominion that all of us were created to exercise, and they are doing so in greater uh, ways. They have greater opportunity to do so, and it showcases, are you representing God or something else? We were meant to do these things. We were meant to be the ones to live this out. So God's declaration of how long is certainly this indictment upon leaders and also a theological declaration of his long suffering for humans to live out what they, he made them to be. For them not to abdicate their responsibility, but for them to live out what they were made to do in loving and caring for neighbor. What we see as the slowness of God in righting wrongs may be the mercy of God in granting time for repentance because he gave us the charge of dominion and he wants us to live it out. So the question then is, how will God judge injustice? What is, what is he going to do in the midst of this? If humans are supposed to represent God's justice in the world, maybe one of the ways that God will do this is through his people. Through his people living out these things. And this is the tension, right? The psalm ends with this phrase, right? It ends with uh, finishing God's speech. And then the psalmist replies, Israel is replying, Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. Rise up and judge injustice because humans can't do that. But here's the rub. That includes us. Let's remember the story of Israel. Israel was oppressed. They were enslaved for 400 years. God saw the injustice and waited. And finally raised up Moses. Sent them a baby so they had to wait longer after he saw. He just works slow, guys. That's how he does it. And yet, he finally did deliver them. And here, the psalmist, uh, I think certainly the psalmist has in mind the wicked nations surrounding Israel, but also, as we talked about in Psalm 73, these, the oppression of the poor and the weak and the vulnerable, those are all the things that the prophets charge with the leaders of Israel for doing. Right? So Israel, at one point, is saying, Lord, rise up and judge the oppressors. We are oppressed. And then they're like, hey, God's asleep at the wheel. We can oppress our own people. Wait. The people with the law who are given the law to actually live out as God's representative, they can't even judge rightly? They can't even bring justice? If they can't do it, who can? And maybe we should... Remember that this includes us also. And maybe when we read this and hear give justice to the poor and the orphan, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and help us, deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Maybe we see in that and we're like, well, that's not me. But sometimes our uh, the expression of our sinfulness is limited not by our righteousness, but by our opportunity. Would we oppress if we were in the same positions of power and authority? Well, how we treat our neighbor now is how we would treat our neighbor then. And if we struggle 
to love our neighbor and to rescue them now, what would we do when we had the power to do so? We need to reckon with this reality that oftentimes we give ourselves a pass simply because we didn't have the opportunity to sin in the way someone else did. And we've got to reckon with that. What are we supposed to do with all of this? You might be thinking, man, this is a bummer of a six-year anniversary service. <laughs> That's what I thought when I read this. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, talking about our vision, justice. And then it's like, well, wait a second. This song kind of hits us right between the eyes. And this is when we need to remember the rest of the story. Remember I said that the New Testament quotes this passage? It's actually Jesus that quotes this passage. In John chapter 10, Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. He's teaching and, and talking to the religious leaders uh, who are questioning what he has done and, and what he's saying and teaching. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them away from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Anytime people pick up stones, uh, you should try to figure out, well, what did he say that was so offensive that they're going to kill him? Right? It's not that Jesus was just like on everyone's side teaching you just like, hey, you should love your neighbor. No, no, he said things that they were like, wait a second, you are claiming to be God. That's blasphemy. You deserve to die. That's exactly what they do. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? He's like, all right, pull out the receipts. If you're going to stone me, you better show me why I'm being stoned. They replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, which right, right there, they acknowledge that Jesus is doing the right stuff. They're like, we know that you're doing great things, Jesus. That's not why we're stoning you. But because for, but for blasphemy, you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods. This is where he quotes the passage. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. Right, so this is, uh, this is another strange spot where you're like, what exactly is Jesus trying to prove here? <laughs> is he like, is he saying, well, it's fine because... God called men gods in the past, so you should be fine with me doing this. Now, I think actually what Jesus is doing is saying, he's pointing out, first of all, that the, oh, sorry, he went on to say, but if I do this, his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Right, he says, what he's doing here is he's alerting them to this sort of obscure passage in which God says to the rulers, you are gods. And he's saying, 
See, I don't think your outrage is actually really connected to this thing that I'm saying. I think it's connected to the fact that my works are showcasing who I am, and you don't want to accept it. He's not saying that it's all right for us to call each other gods. What he's saying is, you know what? This happens here where God says you are gods to the rulers, meaning they are God's representatives in the world. Like I already said, I think that's what he means there. But here, something different here. I and the Father are one. And if you want to know that, look at what I'm doing. Look at my work. Look at what I've done. Something different is here. This is not just like another ruler coming along who will go to power and eventually oppress his people. No, something new is happening. God himself has come to shepherd his people. God himself has showed up and said, you called me, Israel, to rise up and judge the earth, and I'm here. I'm here. But it's so interesting, right? What does he say about his people? He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I give them eternal life. But wait, didn't we just say That we, the people who get the law, who get the instruction, we can't even give justice. So how is he going to give us eternal life if we fail at the very thing he has come to do is to give justice? Well, it's because of the ultimate work that Jesus does. In going to the cross and dying in the place that you and I deserve. Bearing our judgment. You see, God will judge all injustice. Either in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he dies in the place of sinners who will run to him and him alone, acknowledging themselves as those who are not good at giving justice, who are sinful, who make mistakes in this area, who actually harm other people, who will repent and say, I need a Savior. And injustice will either be judged there or it will be judged when Jesus returns. There is a coming judgment. We talked about this all throughout the spring before I left for sabbatical when we were in the book of Revelation. That Jesus will return. And He will grant to His people the new heavens and new earth. Not because they deserve it, but because He is wonderful. And all those wrongs that have been committed, sins that, we, that, that people who refuse to repent have committed, will be judged. They will be judged. And the reality is, we all long for a God of justice. When we look at the way in which the world is broken, we need a God who will come and judge injustice. We just don't want Him to come and judge our injustice. That's what we're afraid of. But we need a God of justice. If we look at the world, we know that things aren't right. They're not the way they're supposed to be. Which is why we need the cross. It's why we need to cling to Jesus. Because right there is where we find it. In which our injustice can be forgiven. And in which we can cling to the fact that Jesus says, I will say how long, no more. 
I will come and I will right all wrongs. I will say how long no more. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, first it means us coming to Jesus. Recognizing our own injustice, repenting and running to the Lord and calling for him to rise up. And certainly then it means pursuing radical acts of justice and mercy as we cry out to him to rise up. And part of the way he rises up in the world today is through the hands and feet of his people showing up in real ways, representing him in the world. Certainly it means for us having the heart of God in these ways, recognizing that God is on the side of the oppressed, that God is on the side of the broken. God is concerned about these things and we ought to be as well. And then, it also means us having a realistic expectation that the end times are not here yet. That we still sit. Well, the end times are here. We are in the end times. Sorry, I don't want to confuse you with all the stuff I taught you in Revelation. But the very, very end. The very, very end isn't here yet. We're still in the how long. We're still in the struggle of how long. This is the key point that does not make, it does not give us place for complacency in the pursuit of judging injustice and pursuing justice. It does not give us space, right? Sometimes we stand from the sidelines of privilege and declare that there will always be injustice and we can't do anything about it. That's to stand with the wicked. We want to stand with the oppressed and declare we will not participate in oppression. We will, we will stand with you. We will not stand with the wicked. And yet recognize that injustice will always be here until Jesus returns. That's what we need. Because otherwise, we will think that we have somehow arrived. We'll slip into this thing in which we think we are the church that cares about justice. We know what we're doing. We're going to come and we're going to fix things. No, no, no. What I'm calling for us is to follow Jesus. And where he is is where the broken are. So if we want to meet Jesus, let's go where the broken are, because that's where he is. But we need to recognize that it's going to come with a lot of disappointment. It's going to come with a lot of continuing injustice. It's going to come, like I said in Psalm 73, in a place of the long defeat. That we lose a lot as Christians. And we're going to continue to lose. There's glimpses of final victory, but we're just waiting on Jesus to show up. Why would we continue in all that? Why not just throw in the towel? Why not just throw in the towel and run the other way? Because of Jesus. That's the only answer. And if we're going to do this for another six years, if we're going to do this for another 50 years, if we're going to continue pursuing justice in this city, if it's not because of Jesus calling us, we'll give up. We'll turn the other way. We'll go the other way. It's just too hard. If we don't have Jesus standing alongside us saying, how long with our how long, we don't have a God who cares, who is near to us, and who will one day rise up and judge all injustice, we will give up. We will turn the other way. 
We don't do this because we're trying to earn some favor with the world or be uh, in the right wokeness or whatever silly reasons we would do things. We follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's why we do it. And if the Lamb says, how long will injustice come, then we say, how long? If the Lamb shows up beside broken people, then we show up beside broken people. Wherever the Lamb goes, we say we'll follow. Because what, else, what other option do we have? He went to the cross for our injustice. Everything about us is fully given to Him. And He is good. So let's go to the place where he is and let's call for him to show up. As we have been throughout this sermon series, we've been responding by reading part of this psalm back, knowing that these psalms are meant to be corporately done. We're not going to do that today because we're actually going to sing it. We're going to respond in singing to God, asking him to rise up, to show up in the place of disappointment and pain. And to grant his justice and mercy. So let's pray together and then we're going to sing and respond to God. Lord Jesus, we come to you now. Lord, knowing that we are not sufficient for these things. Lord, we confess that there are so many places in which we have not, we don't have the righteousness required to, be, to pursue justice. We just have lacked the opportunity to be more unjust. So Lord, we repent. We confess that reality and we repent. And we ask you to cleanse us. To cleanse us and recommit us to loving the poor and the orphan. To upholding the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. To rescuing the poor and the helpless because you, Jesus, love them. So Jesus, would you show up? Would you rise up? Because we say, how long? We need you. We need you to come and right all wrongs. Would you come quickly, Lord Jesus? I pray in Christ's name. Amen.